tonight. First of all, where my matters. Greetings, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on this wonderful Sunday night, the week of Thanksgiving. For us who are Christ followers, we don't have to wait to November to give thanks. We give thanks all year long. I have so much to share with you on the night, and it's going to be real. It's going to be real. I'm going to try to be as raw, honest, and biblical as I could be. I need you to, like, tag somebody like now. Tag somebody, share this, inform them, listen, you don't want to miss this one. Um, tonight, let's get straight to work. Um, it's going to be some very heated parts. I just hope that you are ready. Let's, let's go ahead and get to work. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 9 is where we're going to start on tonight. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then, I want everybody to notice, the then did not happen until he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? A clause of concern and where we are going to perform a biblical surgical operation on tonight lives and derives in verse 9. Then the Lord God called Eve. It's not what your Bible says. Called Tanisha. It's not what the Bible says. Called Brittany, Ashley, Monica, Latoya, Candace. It says, then the Lord called Adam and said, where are you? And I firmly believe that this is the same question that is being asked in the earth. Adam, where are you? Father, where are you? Daddy, where are you? Uncle, where are you? Grandfather, where are you? Nephew, where are you? Son, where are you? Cousin, where are you? Husband, where are you? My prayer, my prayer is may God cause his kingdom men to arise and return. Convict us of our sin and our ignorance so that we can stop hiding and dressing ourselves with the leaves of disobedience and separation. Father God, we pray that you flood this atmosphere. I firmly believe that this is a word that is needed in the earth. All the study means absolutely nothing if you aren't seen, magnified, and glorified. My petition, oh God, is that you use 
this message to remind your people the original kingdom agenda in the earth. And anoint me, O God, to be your PA system, the soundtrack of heaven. And it is so in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees with that prayer, would you drop in the room, amen. Amen. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, tonight we're just going to have a heartfelt conversation. We are about to have a very heartfelt sermon that I believe is massively needed and high key, not low key, but high key critical. Because if you have been following this cuffing season series for any length of time, you will know that this is a particular topic that I keep on bringing up. I keep on raising my hand to join the conversation because if I be honest, quite frankly, I am annoyed. Quite frankly, I am annoyed, and some of us, you are too. I am annoyed that the majority of relational and mental health and dialogue conversations about boundaries and standards and purity and knowing your worth is directed to women as though it is the men who are the first ones to book a counseling session. I'm going to say that again. I've done enough counseling sessions to know it is not usually the man who books first. I am annoyed because it seems as though the majority of relational and mental wisdom and health, and I'm talking about in the church, the majority of the conversations about standards and knowing your worth and knowing your value and practicing purity, it is directed towards the women. As though it is the men who are the first ones to book a counseling session. As though it is the men that are the first ones to recognize I need therapy. As though it is the brothers who are the first ones to be intentional with pursuing healing. As though it is the brothers who are the first ones to sign up for a purity ceremony. (laughs) Why y'all looking at me like that? See, and listen, please, please don't misconstrue what I'm saying. Don't don't misconstrue what I'm saying because there are men in the earth who are absolutely killing it. We have kingdom men. You are killing it in your fatherhood. I see you. You are doing a phenomenal job as a husband. You are killing it as a leader, killing it in your entrepreneurial pursuit, killing it in your business, your side hustle, your main hustle. You are intentional with making sure that I am warring for wholeness within my soul. I see you. No sarcasm. Real talk, I see you and I applaud you because we need more of it. We do. We need more of it. However, there are, I can't even believe I'm saying this, there are a lot of ministries who are seeking to monetize your trauma because they know that there is a higher probability for the woman to cry out for help first. Listen. Listen, I probably should have told y'all to fasten y'all seatbelt. If we start like this, just in the introduction, <laughs> there are a majority of ministries who are seeking to make monetization off of your trauma. Not because they love you and this is just their occupation, but because they view your issue as their profit, which is how we have prophets who only profit for profit. <laughs> They're doing it to make monetization 
off of your issue. I understand waiting to be found. It's just that we've had that conversation before, which is probably why we have a lot of women who are shooting their shot. Because we've heard a lot about waiting to be found. The question that I'm asking is what about the finder though? Can we talk about that? I understand waiting to be found. But what about the finder? What about him? And this can't help but cause for one to ask the question, what is the percentage of men in this era who still desire to be husbands? See, and, and I know it's not true, but it almost appears as though godly men are an endangered species. <laughs> like, what? I just want to know, is there some way to have some statistical form and we could know how many men in this era actually even desire to be married? Now, listen, I'm not saying that marriage is an upgrade. We have to stop preaching that. We have to stop making singles feel as though if you are not married, you are missing out. That's far from the truth. Marriage is not an upgrade from your singleness. All marriage is, is you have decided to make a choice to be selfless, selfless and sacrifice with the, with the imperfect individual for the glory of God till death do us part. That's all it is. You have made that choice, but me being married does not make me better than anybody else because there are people who are more content, single, more content single than dealing with somebody else morning breath, dealing with somebody else not flushing the toilet, dealing with somebody else hair in the shower, dealing with somebody else shaved hair is still in the sink. I have more peace by myself. If I'm hot, I can have my AC to 62. If I'm warm, I can have my AC at another temperature. I could do what I want. If that's you, that's cool. I'm not saying as though marriage is an upgrade we really got to stop preaching that and stop making people feel as though because you don't have a husband or a wife you're missing out that's not even bible paul was like listen i wish that y'all were like me because married people they're torn so if there's a brother watching this and you don't desire marriage that is perfectly fine just don't desire covenant benefits though uh-oh here we go here we go you say you know what i really don't want marriage but you do know having sex with her, that's a covenant benefit. That, that's a covenant benefit. Her pleasing you sexually, I'm looking all in this screen, this is a covenant benefit. You coming home from work after a hard day and want a home-cooked meal, you know that is a covenant benefit. You living together, that is a covenant benefit. We're going to get emails on that one. You sleeping in the same bed together, that is a covenant benefit. You sharing bills together, why are y'all looking at me like this? That is a covenant benefit. Just if you don't want marriage, that's cool but don't want covenant benefits too yeah <laughs> I just want to know what are the majority of of men who still desire marriage or do we just want covenant benefits without the covenant okay all right this 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 is why I'm teaching this and I just spoke on this earlier in the series about she comes with favor because I was trying to get a remnant of brothers to understand that a godly woman, it just hits different. A wife just hits different. There's just a level of peace you have that just, it just comes a little differently in your life. A woman who prays for you, that's having your back on a whole nother level. 
Can I buy an amen? A woman who will pray for you, that's having your back on a whole nother level. Covenant sex hits different. It's different when you don't have to repent afterwards. Why I feel like y'all looking at me so crazy? When you don't have to worry, worry about if she gets pregnant, because if she does, she just misses flowers, and I miss the flowers. You got to understand, when you're doing it the right way, God blesses it. See, some of us in your sin, you thought the sex was good, but could you imagine doing it in the kingdom way? I'm trying to tell you, it just hits different. A wife, a wife is a whole nother caliber of a woman. And I dedicated a whole segment in this series to try to get us to understand, listen, she comes with favor. A wife, that is a Lord suit. That means the Lord has given you a suitable helper. This is a Lord suit. Suits you in your purpose and suits you in your calling and suits you in your assignment. A godly wife is a Lord suit, but a woman of the night, oh, that's a lawsuit. <laughs> that, that's a lawsuit. What does that mean? She probably going to make you catch a case. If not literally a case of a bad headache, a case of stress, a case of insomnia, a case of a receding hairline. Why do you keep blaming your barber and your age for your edge up looking like that? That is not just due to your age and your barber. It is due to what Proverbs tells us. It is better for you to be on the roof than for you to deal with a woman like that. She's causing for your hair to recede because she caused you to be so stressed. <laughs> that, that's a lawsuit. Can I get somebody put in the room? Lawsuit. Lawsuit. A godly woman, she is your suitable helper. She suits you. A woman of the night, she's just a nightgown. She can't do nothing for you outside of the bed. A, a, a wife, a wife is one, a godly wife is one who had vision outside of you. She didn't view you like a bail bond to rescue her from singleness. She already was killing it and already had a vision before you. Oh, a godly wife, you could walk in in the room and catch her in prayer. A carnal woman, you could walk in and catch her in gossip. There's two totally different type of women. A godly wife will add value to your name. Let me give you Bible. Proverbs chapter 22 Verse 1, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1, it says a good name. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver and gold. My wife and I were having this conversation because we're working on this book that we're about to publish. And so as she's working on uh, the book, she says, how do we even know? How do we even know that, that this is going to be good and that that people are going to read this. I said, uh, first of all, Mrs. Flowers, you're anointed. You're anointed. Anointing breaks yokes. When people read this, something's going to break. So a chain is going to break in their mind. Something's going to break off their heart. That's the first thing. I need you to know that you are anointed. Second thing, God has allowed it to where the flower's name has some weight to it. Just the fact that you say, I'm producing something to help my sisters, just the name that you have helped become a good name has some weight to it. There is weight to names. If Jordan drops some shoes, there's just a weight to it. People want to get it. There is value in your name. And a godly wife helps add value to your name. I'm going to give you more Bible. Look at Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. Let's go down to verse 23. 
This is the part of Proverbs 31 that most people just skip over. It says, her husband is, what's that word? Known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Bro, you know. She is helping your name maintain value and you're known because of the value of that good name. My name is attached to the name above every names. And a lot of us just skip past the part when it says he sits among the elders. What does that mean? This means he's a wise man. The elders are symbolic of wisdom. I'm not a woman, but if I was, I would want to have a leader who has some wisdom. Can I get an amen on that part though? I would want to have a leader and headship who has some wisdom. Waiting to be found? We heard about that. But what about the finder? See, this is what I'm trying to get us to understand. If we keep on preparing her, but have an underprepared him, please hear me. If we keep on preparing her, but have an underprepared him, we'll have a generation of women who are waiting for a man that doesn't exist. If we keep on preparing her, but do not address and underprepare him, there will be a wife hoping that change hits her husband's heart, but it will never arrive at their terminal because we aren't having conversations like this. We aren't having dialogues like this. We aren't being challenged like this. We aren't having sermons like this. And it is needed because a spiritual attack is happening in the earth over the man. Please hear me. Please, please hear me. There is a spiritual attack that is happening in the earth over the man. There, there, there's just this weapon that the enemy is using and he's trying to disrupt the kingdom agenda for the home. Because it's easy to overtake a kingdom when there is no king present. It, it is easy to overtake a kingdom and attack a kingdom when we have men who won't fight. I'm just trying to convince brothers, we have to get our fighter back. We have to become fighters again. Fight for purity. Fight for holiness. This is not old school. This is biblical. Fight for holiness and fight for godliness and fight for self-control and fight for self-mastery and fight for purity and fight for wholeness and fight for our wives and fight for our sons and fight for our daughters. The earth needs men to have this fighter back. Can I get somebody to say fighter? How about we normalize faithfulness? Can we normalize that again? <laughs> Y'all remember that? <laughs> Is that like a random word? Can we normalize faithfulness? How about let's normalize self-control? Let's normalize tenderness. See, it's, it's, this, it's this false sense, sense of strength and macho masculinity that's getting in the way of us being a replica of Jesus' meekness and tenderness. It's getting in the way of that. Jesus was meek, kind, and tender. And y'all just excuse me, I just firmly believe the goal is still to be like Jesus. That's the goal, to be like Jesus. Will I ever reach it? No, but I'm trying. That is my target, to be like Jesus. Let's normalize that, that real men love Jesus. 
How do we get to this place to where our men are so hard? We're so, we're so hard and we won't open up. Please listen, anybody who has a son, all of this, shut your mouth. All of this, stop all that crying. All of the conversations of, if you keep on crying, I'm going to give you something to cry about. All that is doing and all that has done is arrested a generation of men emotionally to where we don't know how to express and vent without feeling like we're weak. We need healthy, holistic men who are able to express how you feel. You don't have to be that hard, bro. Acting hard is hard. All I'm trying to get you to understand is we know that you could be her protector. I want to know, can you be her pillow? I know you could be her protector, but I want to know, can you be her pillow? Because your wife is going to need that soft part of you. Your son is going to need that soft part of you. I know culture refers that as weakness, but over here in the kingdom, we refer that as strength. Your daughter is going to need that soft part of you. The church is going to need that soft part of you. The community is going to need that soft part of who you are because it is meekness, gentleness, and kindness. This is not old school. This is biblical. This is biblical. The number one question, the number one question that I always get that stays in my DMs is, Jerry, where are these men? Where are the men? Some people even ask, do you have any brothers? Or do you have a brother that has a brother? I'm like, girl, just because I have a brother doesn't mean he's anything like God. <laughs> it could be like a Jacob and an Esau type of situation. You just don't know. So I think we should have a conversation. We should have a conversation and a dialogue from this thought, from this subject. Where are the men? Where are the men? And there's this declaration that I just feel is so needed and is powerful I want all of us to say this. You can put it in all caps in the room. You do not have the right to remain silent. Not for this message. Not for every message. I said this a lot lately. You don't have the right to remain silent. I need everybody to make this declaration. Can I get everybody to say, God, raise up your kings and your men whose heart beats after yours. I feel power all in that. One more time. God, raise up your kings. And your men who have hearts that beats after yours. Let, let's, let's, let's normalize that. This is the most common question that stays in my DMs, my emails, letters sent here to the church. What happened and where are the men? See, and I'm noticing something. There is, there is this undetected weapon that hell is using due to men being out of place. That there is this undetected weapon. A lot of us don't even recognize that it is a weapon, but the enemy is using this on our sisters to obtain their joy, their peace, compassion, passion, relational intelligence, and faith. And it is not due to a demon, a storm, or a trial. The weapon that he is using that goes undetected and underpreached is the weapon of exhaustion. 
Ah, the weapon of exhaustion. Because the enemy knows you cannot be continuously, mentally exhausted and spiritually alert at the same time. Because continued tiredness creates a soul infection. I'm preaching, y'all. I'm trying to reveal to you a strategy. There are a lot of single mothers. You are killing it. I mean, you are doing your absolute best. I am blown away. For real. I'm not hyping you up. I'm serious. I am blown away at the strength of a woman to raise all four children on her own, send them all off to college. She gave them what they needed and what they wanted. Just the strength that you have. There's a woman, a wife. God, I feel this in my spirit, y'all. There's a wife who's doing everything she can to make the family excel. You're doing everything you can. You, you, you as a single mother, you're intentional with your healing so that you're not passing on your pain to your children because you know that wounds that don't get transformed get transferred and you're doing everything you can to overcome and heal in this area because you recognize the people who hurt me are not coming back to heal me you're trying to do everything you can you're doing it like a boss you're still trying to run the family but if we be honest you're exhausted you're tired I'm telling y'all I feel this man you're exhausted because you don't have any help. You're exhausted because you wonder, will my husband ever change? Will he ever change? And you're praying and you're exhausted. And the enemy is using this weapon of exhaustion because we're out of place. Now I could use this weapon to create women to get tired. There's a single woman watching this. You have never been married before, but you do desire marriage. But when you look around at the current state of brothers, you start to get kind of exhausted in your faith because you're wondering, is this all you got, God? Do you have any more brothers in the back? Because... <laughs> You're starting to get exhausted. Listen, y'all. Listen, listen, listen. I'm trying to tell you. I'm revealing the enemy's strategy. He is not trying to just knock you out. He is trying to wear you out. Please hear me. He does not try to knock you out in round one. In round one, he's just hitting you in the body. He's not trying to knock you out round two. Just a body shot. Three, just a body shot. Round four, just a body shot. Round six, seven, eight, nine, just a body shot. Around round 10, he'll go for the knockout because he has worn you out to such a degree that when you least expect it, he's going to knock you out. And a lot of us, a lot of us, we're looking at the fire. And we're like, okay, as long as I don't get burned. But if you just look at the fire, you'll overlook what you're inhaling, the smoke. He's trying to weaken your spiritual immunity. See, see, listen, listen. The devil knows, okay, I can't take their faith. But if I could wear them out, maybe I can get them to have exhausted faith. See, I don't know if anybody else's immunity is set up like mine. But how Jerry's immune system is, if I don't get the ample amount of rest that I need, I always catch a cold. Always catch a cold. And so I think the devil's like, okay, if I can get them exhausted, maybe I can get them to have faith with the cold. Saved and sealed, but spiritually sick. Infected with emotional influenza. Soul congested. Not with mucus, but with what ifs. 
What if he never changes? What if this never happens? What if I can't do this? What if this never happens? What if my children, what if they don't have what they need? What if, what if it is an attempt and a strategy of the enemy to try to make us be exhausted? Because if I could just say, say it how it is, you're carrying weights that you were never designed to carry. I know we don't like to hear this, but I, I want to tell you God's original intent. The original kingdom agenda was for there to be mommy and daddy both in the home who are married to one another, who are in covenant, who are in covenant. And if they decide to have children, then they can raise up godly offspring because godly generation starts with godly picks. I'm probably getting this. Godly generations starts with godly picks, godly mommies, and godly daddies, and we produce godly children, which means we now can have godly communities. This is the original kingdom agenda. But a lot of us, we didn't know. We, we didn't know about a kingdom agenda. This is why I did a whole message on Thursday about don't wake love before it's time. Because if you want to be a barber, you go to barber school. If you want to be a doctor, you go to med school. But where do you go if you want to be in love? Our heart needs to be trained. We don't just become awesome wives by accident. We don't just become awesome Christ followers by accident. I need discipleship. So don't demonize me. Disciple me. I, I need help in this area. And so th th there's a lack of training that has happened on our heart. And somebody watching this message... You're so hard on yourself. You're so hard on yourself, but you didn't know. You didn't know you're not supposed to look for eye candy. You're supposed to look for fruit production. You didn't know. You didn't know. Don't date until you know your calling so that in marriage we could be an answer. You didn't know. You didn't know. You didn't know that maybe the reason you're bored, that doesn't mean you need a boo or a bae. It just means that you've allowed your gifts to go to sleep. You didn't know. You didn't know. You didn't know. And you're so hard on yourself. And you're like, man, I should have did this. And if I wouldn't have done that, and if I didn't do this, you are so hard on yourself, but you didn't know. And the reason, the reason I'm doing this message and this series is because I didn't know. I wish back in college when I was struggling, I, struggling, there was some series that I was aware of that could help me and let me know you can be young and unashamed and sold out for Jesus and pure and a man and nobody mistakes you for being gay because you're trying to be pure. I didn't know. I needed to have content and sermons that would inform me just because you're struggling with pornography. This does not mean you're not saved. You've been doing that for years. You just accepted Christ two weeks ago. You're having withdrawals. This is normal when toxicity is leaving the body I wish I had that this is why I'm doing it this is why you have to stop running from your fights stop running from fights because if you keep running from fights your generation a generation after you will have to deal with your unfinished combat ah this is so good y'all if you ever had a struggle that seems harder to defeat a chain that is harder to break I was praying about this, and I was like, God, why, why does it seem easy to overcome this? And it seems easy to overcome that. But with this one particular struggle, it seems like this one, chains are a little heavier. Have you all ever been there? Like, it's hard for me to break this. And I believe the Holy Spirit revealed to me, it's because this is not a typical war. This is an inherited war. God, 
This is a warfare granddaddy never defeated. This is a warfare big mama never defeated. This is a warfare your mother never defeated or your daddy never defeated. And spirits hover over bloodlines. And the enemy thinks because this worked on your ancestors, it's also going to work on you too. But there is always a bloodline breaker in the bloodline. Y'all better come get me. There's always somebody who can break the cycle. There's always somebody who will change it. And I believe that's you. I believe that's you. I believe that's you. I believe that's you. And you're wondering why it's so difficult. It's because you're supposed to break something. Do you have Bible to corroborate your claim? Yes, I do. Jesus was in the bloodline of David. And David had a lust issue. We see that with Bathsheba. Also in David's bloodline was Rahab the harlot. Do I have to break down what a harlot is? It's somebody who lives a sexually immoral life. And also Solomon, David's son, he had his lust on a whole nother level. We talked about that to where God was like, listen, don't intermarry with them for they're surely going to turn your hearts after their God. But the Bible says that Solomon pursued hard after them. So we have a lust issue in a bloodline, but Jesus broke it. And I'm trying to encourage somebody because you have Jesus on the inside of you, you're going to break it. You might be under attack, but you're also under the blood. You are a bloodline breaker. You didn't know. You didn't know. I need everybody right now. I'm just feeling this. Everybody right now, can I get you to drop this in the room? I forgive myself for all the times ignorance made a choice. Let's, let's say it again, because you're blaming you, but you were ignorant of this information. You chose off romance, not to advance. Now you have new information, which means you've got options. You no longer just have to circle A. You can circle B because I got education biblically. You can circle C because now you got wisdom. I will no longer hold myself hostage. I will forgive myself. I will forgive myself for ignorance making a choice. I will forgive myself for insecurity making a choice. I will forgive myself for my anxiety making a choice. You didn't know, but you know now. You know now. And this is why I'm doing this. And I stated earlier in the series, I said, this is not about relationships. Would you think I'm up here trying to be a love doctor? This, this is a kingdom agenda. And it all starts with the man. We can't effectively change the world without first having changed men. Change me. I'm not being no love doctor up here. I'm trying to get you to understand a man treats you out of what he loves. You remember that? So if he loves possessions, he's going to treat you like a possession. If he loves sex, he's going to treat you like a sex object. If he loves nothing, he's going to treat you like nothing. Oh, but if we can get men who love Jesus... If we can get the heads to love Jesus, if we can get the authority to love Jesus, if we can get the doxa to love Jesus, if we can get the leaders to love Jesus, then we can lead people into the love of Jesus. Are y'all seeing how this works? Then I can lead my family into the love of Jesus and lead my community into the love of Jesus. It all starts with the leader. It's not just about relationships. This is about reestablishing the order of the kingdom agenda. Adam, where are you? It's the question that God asked on that day when the fall of man happened. Where are you? He's not talking about his geographical location. He's talking about where are you in your, your soul? Where are you in your soul, bro? 
where you think you can find fulfillment in weed more than me? Where are you in your soul? Where are you in your mind and your heart that you think that you can find a high better than the most high? Where are you in your mind? And so he, he's, he's addressing this. The war has always and will always be over the man. Because so goes the man, so goes the family. So goes the man, so goes the bloodline. So goes the man, so goes the community. So goes the man, so goes your daughter's heart. So goes the man. It is always and has always been about the man. This is why I never, never could understand how a man could say to a woman, you got daddy issues as an insult. You got daddy issues as an insult when our issue is due to our gender. You got daddy issues as an insult to a woman, but her issue is due to our gender. And see, we're contributing to the cycle indirectly or directly if we're not intentional with surrendering to Jesus and intentional with our healing. This is how we have brothers, ladies do it too, but this is how we have brothers who are infected with what I like to call toxic confusion. The illness of you can't leave her alone, but you can't treat her right. You're just confused, bro. <laughs> I didn't say bro, I said bro. B-R-U-H. You're confused, bro. You can't leave her alone, and you can't treat her right. So I'm trying to get us to understand that it starts with the man. It starts with us. Somebody may be like, I ain't toxic, bro. What are you talking about? You know what toxicity is? Toxic is when you create chaos, point fingers, and never take responsibility for the dysfunction. That's what it is to be toxic. And I want to show you something, a part of the Christmas story that a lot of us didn't even consider. Because truthfully, around this time of year, the Christmas story is accredited that Jesus was possibly born in early spring, but this is when we celebrate it. A lot of us don't even know around Jesus' birthday was dark. We got lights and songs and have a holly, we, all that types. But really, around his, his birth, it was dark. Let's go to the Bible. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. It says, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. He said, and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Pause, pause, pause. Listen, a lot of us just breeze past the fact that Joseph was a man who could hear God. Did y'all hear what I just said? What would have happened if he just mistake that dream due to something that he ate that night before. Joseph was a man that could identify the voice, the voice of God. Let me show you a parallel in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 22, we're going to go back to Matthew in a second. Genesis chapter 22, it says, uh, verse 9, when they reached the place God told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He replied, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son 
your only son. Hmm. Could you imagine what would have happened if Abraham could not hear God? What would have happened to the Christmas story if Joseph couldn't hear God? Abraham about to kill, but because he heard God. See, listen, this is so powerful. When a man can't hear God, we will kill what was really a blessing. God. That relationship was really a blessing, but you can't hear. That marriage was really a blessing, but you can't hear. That church was really a blessing, but you got offended and you can't hear the truth. When a man can't hear, we'll end up killing what was just a test. And I think maybe this is why God chose Joseph. And maybe this is why God chose Abraham. Because God selects those who know how to hear. Listen, listen. God, this is so good. Ladies, you want to have a leader who can hear. You want to, he was able to, hey, Mary, wake up. What's, what's wrong, babe? Look, we got to go. Hair about to kill. How you know? God told me. Do you have a leader that, could, that he's able to say, this is what we're going to do for this family? How? And why do you think we need to do this? God told me. And not because they're trying to be spiritually deep, but because you can actually see that they hear God. Let's go back to Matthew. Back to Matthew chapter 2. Verse 13, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Look at this. So now we see instruction. So he got up. Somebody say instruction, application. One more time. Instruction, application. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the, prophet, through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinities who were two years old and under in, accord, in accordance with the time he had learned from Magi. Then... What was said, the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refuse to be comforted because they are no more. I know we celebrate this time, the arrival of Jesus, but really around the arrival of Jesus, it was a painful time. And the enemy used Herod to commit genocide. Why? Because the enemy is always threatened when kings are born. This is so powerful, y'all. He's always threatened when kings are born. So if I can with your son, I'll try to kill him in the womb. If I can't kill him in the womb, I'll kill him when he's a child. If I can't get him then, I'll get him when he's an adolescent. If I can't get him then, I'll get him when he's a young man. If I can't get him then, I'll get him when he's an old man. The war has always been after the man. So how do we fix this? Number one, I believe, is tied to the presentation of Jesus. How do we fix this? I believe it's tied to the presentation of Jesus. We keep presenting Jesus as this, this frail, weak-looking, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, kind of feminine, peace be unto you type of figure. That, that is not what Jesus was like. Jesus was a man's man. Are y'all hearing me? He came from Nazareth. Nazareth is a hood. It is a small, a small 
filthy, ridden town. You can, can't, I just can't help but wonder, how in the world does a big God come from such a small, filthy place? <laughs> how does a big God, his hometown, is from a small and filthy place? I believe it's because God is trying to show us I specialize in doing big things from small places. You think your two fish and five loaves is too small? Give it to a big God. You think your dream is too small? Give it to a big God. You think that you're too messy? Well, God anoints messy people because he's going to call them to be his messengers because they just ran into the Messiah. You think it's too small? He comes from Nazareth. He's a man's man. He's a carpenter. So he probably has some bulk to him because he's constantly lifting up wood. Isn't it crazy that Jesus' earthly occupation was carpentry? What does that mean? He specializes in building and fixing stuff that's broke. His earthly occupation was fixing broken things. His spiritual occupation is fixing broken things. He is the apex of masculinity. He is a bronze skin tone man with a beard, eyes like fire, hair like wool. He is a man's man. That is the presentation of who Jesus was. Not this weak, frail, peace be unto you. Peace be unto you, hair all perm. That's not Jesus. <laughs> I think if we could start with showing men the true biblical presentation of Jesus, it's not about his skin tone. It's about his masculinity, his love, him being a savior, him being obedient, him being kind, his submission to God because he is God in the flesh. If we could start to show men this is what the apex of masculinity looks like, maybe there is how we could start. So let's end this. Where are the men? Number one, prison. Prison. Look at this. This is just here in America. It was too much to go all over the world. But here in America, 93.3% of all inmates are men. Oh, 93.3% of all inmates are men. 6.7% of them are women. So we're looking at figures of 10,000 women compared to 144,000 men. Where are the men? A lot of us are in prison. Where are the men? A lot of us are dead. Dead. The, the, the women have a lower mortality rate at every age. Men are three times as likely as women to die from injuries, unintentional injuries, suicides, or homicides. And there is also irrefutable evidence that men are less likely to seek out medical help, health care, or any type of religion or faith-based initiative to help them heal. We're in jail. We're dead. A lot of us were not in the home. Here in America, 83% of single parent homes are mothers. Among this percentage of single mothers, 45% of the single mothers are divorced or separated. 1.7% are widowed, and 34% of single mothers have never been married. Just trying to give you some stats where you can see this. So, so how do we fix this? I believe it starts with the representation of Jesus, reintroducing him from a biblical perspective. He's not the white man's Jesus. He is the world's Jesus. Reintroducing Jesus. Number two, how do we change this? By training and examples. Okay? First Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. 
command and teach these things. Listen, that, that, that's what we're doing right now. Teach these things. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. It starts with training your son. The one that you have right now, that's how it starts. It starts with training your son. If we can't find him, build him. Build him right now. Your son that is a king in the making. Don't call him stupid and you're good for nothing and you're just like your sorry father and you have a little hatred in your heart because he looks just like his daddy. It starts with us discipling our sons. That's when it starts. Your nephew, your nephew that you know about, your cousin, if you can do something about it, start training now. And we need more examples. We need to normalize faithful men. They need to see this stuff. They need to see men who are faithful to their wives. They need to see men, see men who are honest, who are integral. Not one way in the barbershop, but another way in the church. They need to see men who serve. And they're not weird. Can I say that? They're not weird and kind of, but you are all man. You got a little swag and you serving Jesus. We need to see kingdom examples. How do we start? We train our sons, train our nephews, our cousins. And we have to have more kingdom examples. Number three, return. If you're a dad right now, and you know that you haven't been a good dad, why prolong the cycle? Change the day. Make the call today. It's going to be awkward for a few months, for a few years. But at least make the effort to return back to being a father to your son. You don't have to be with his mother. If you're not with, the, if you're not with your child's mother anymore, that's okay. But your son needs you. Your, your, your daughter needs you. Return now. Just because you messed it up doesn't mean you can't try to fix it. Return now. Return to Jesus. This, I'm trying to get us to understand the kingdom of agenda starts with us. We train. We set examples. If you know that you have not been the best husband, return to start trying to do the right thing. If you never have returned, you return to Jesus first. Return to Jesus so that the leader could show you how to lead. Last point. Honestly, all you can do is pray. Pray more boldness in pulpits, in schools, to have men who are willing to step up and raise up a generation who know God. And like that confession, may that be your prayer. God, raise up your kings, your men, who have hearts that beat after you. The same question, oh God, you asked in the garden. Unfortunately, it's the same question that's being asked here in the earth. Where are the men? My prayer, oh God, is that more of us would arise. And if we have the opportunity to have a son, a nephew, a cousin, help us to disciple them, to show them that manhood is not from the waist down. It's from the neck up. And the most powerful and masculine thing a man could do is worship, surrender his life to Jesus, and pray to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.